0: to another episode of Not D&D, brought to you by EN Live, part of EN Worlds, the leading tabletop news and review site. I'm your host, Jessica, and with me this week, I have Jay Dragon, here to talk about Wonder Home. Uh Jay, for those that don't know you, could you introduce yourself?
1: Hi, Jessica. Hi, everyone. My name is Jay. I am a queer-disabled tabletop game designer uh, and publisher located in Hudson Valley. I'm the editorial director of Possum Creek Games. I am most no- well-known for... My work on Wander, Home, and I generally make games that are frequently GM-less, often diceless, very much focused on community, the magic of the mundane, the liminal spaces where queer people can find belonging, and Home.
0: What a perfect game to be talking about and a perfect guest to have during Pride Month then. (laughs) So uh, if you have any questions, uh, we are live recording right now. So please do ask any questions and we'll happily answer them. We'll get into talking about Wonder Home in just a bit. But before we get into that, I always ask the guests, Jay, could you tell us about your first experience with RPGs?
1: Yeah, so um, I've been uh, LARPing live action role play since I was around 12 years old. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I started running LARPs when I was around like thirteen or fourteen. I ran my first wow. like, large-scale LARP with a budget. Mm-hmm. I got into tabletop games uh, at the start of college. I played like one session of Fourth Edition Dungeons and Dragons, and then I played Monster Hearts, and that yeah. and then it was all downhill from there. Right once you find- <laughs> yeah breaking <laughs> hooked, breaking hooked. Um, <clears throat> and I started yeah I started publishing in 2018. My first big release was 2019, and now here I am.
0: Wow. So uh, you said you did a a LARP when you were 13 with a budget. What did did that mean? People were like, hello, 13-year-old child. Here's a load of money to run a LARP.
1: (laughs) Yes, and and (laughs) thankfully, most of the people LARPing were also kids and teenagers. Um, So Mm -hmm. it was mainly just a bunch of adults trust, like basically a bunch of adults running games for kids and being like, we trust this one kid to come Mm -hmm. up with a good enough story for all the other kids, Uh, which is a very rare thing also to have happen in that context because it's very much like, you know, if you're running one LARP at a week of summer camp, it's like, well, this one kid we've got, <laughs> I hope their idea is good. Um, yeah. It turned out to be pretty good. People turned out to like it. So that's kind of where I've ended up.
0: <laughs> that's awesome. So you've been creating games since almost a year after you started
1: playing them, it sounds like. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I think for me, playing games and making games are very similar to the same process, right? Like mm-hmm. making, a, like playing a game well enough that you trust everyone at the table and like, well, and if you trust the game that you can yeah. kind of like warp it into your own thing, right? Like so many people do with Dungeons and Dragons. That's, mm-hmm. you know, that's making a game. It's the same, it's the same set. It's the same toolkit, just kind of, yeah. you know, applied in a different context.
0: Sure. And what, um, when we say live action role play, I think what sort of LARP was it? Cause I know there's lots of different types. You have some that are very combat type mm-hmm. and you have some that are completely have like no combat and are about mm-hmm. interpersonal relationships. So what, what sort of kind of larp was it that you were doing it, early, it was early back in the day?
1: It was definitely a mix. There were swords, but there were also feelings. Mm-hmm. Um, swords uh, and feelings, gosh. Swords and feelings, and a very radical. Um, it was. It was this. It's. I don't want to. This isn't about the larp, so I don't want to delve too deeply into ta- telling about my. <laughs> <summer> <laughs> That's camp. fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I can talk for hours about just the summer camp, but okay. The long and short of it is is. Uh, the other kids really liked the swords and many kids go for the swords, but I always mm-hmm. went to, like when my friend dies and I can cry over their body or like I can like bring them to the God of reincarnation deep in the woods where the fireflies are, you know, the like the, the more feelings hippie side of it. And that I love think it. shows up yeah. in my work as well. I can't help it.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, no, that's great. I love that. what well. no, because I'm into LARP as well. And when I when I say live action oh, roleplay, yes. like, people do think of like mm-hmm. I don't do kind of the combat LARP side of things, just because mm-hmm. that's not what it interests me. And I think that's what people yeah. are familiar with. So I do love to, because mm-hmm. I think it's you know yeah. it's a slippery slope into role playing game
1: from there. Well, I, um, I, think, I think specifically starting with LARP and then going to tabletop is very backwards from where most people approach it um but yeah but maybe I, I do think LARP is a is a good inroad just because it's it's so tactile and mm-hmm. I think that like when you when you're thinking about games in a tactile way and then you come to like a tabletop game and you're thinking about the tabletop game in a tactile way I think yeah. it makes the game more interesting right like yeah one of my one of my friends who's done a lot of LARP talks a lot, a lot about like how the dice and dungeons and dragons were partially chosen because they resemble crystals like the kind of crystals of magic okay. a wizard might wield. Yeah, and yeah, so yeah. rolling the dice, right? Rolling these weird polyhedrals becomes at least partially a, a, a LARP-like experience for a moment, mm-hmm. right? There's kind of this moment when you become, you're, you're LARPing and you're rolling the dice and you feel like a wizard gambling with fate. And then you're back to being you at a table. Um And so like... Yeah. I think games get really interesting when you start looking at them that way, but I could, yeah. again, I could do this. I'm knowing that you're into LARP suddenly. I'm like, Oh my God. Okay. <laughs> There's so much okay. like So we'll we, talk about it another time. I'm okay. sure.
0: Okay. Let's, we need to get another stream going on talking about LARP. So I'll happily talk to you about it then, but I just, I thought it was interesting. Cause I think <laughs> having, like you said, having that approach will inform the way you design and expect to play role-playing games. Um, and so now you've mentioned that, that just uh, intrigued me with that. So with, uh, the games that you, you played, uh, as in tabletop role-playing games um when did that transition start for you to be kind of working in in the games industry how did you end up at kind of possum creek games like Mm -hmm. you know not just because I think a lot of people enjoy making games and it ends up being something that they kind of do with their friends at home and not something they yeah. do as a as a publisher like you have so
1: it was it was partially a survival thing I was a, a homeless college dropout and I was like how do I make money I put pdfs up on, on online and people buy it nice um, great yeah I also like there was a, a jam a game jam for making games built on the belong outside belong system which is a diceless yeah. system created by Avery Alder and Benjamin Rosenbaum oh, and I was goodness. like oh I can do that and the jam was done by the time I finished the game, but I put my game up online anyway, and people really mm. liked it, and some people were like, you should publish that, and I was like, okay, I will, and then people really liked it, and then I suddenly had enough money that I could afford uh, first month on an apartment, <laughs> and then it all kind of
0: yes. you know, went from
1: there, and it was like, alright, well, I guess I'm doing this full time, I guess I'm starting a publishing company with my best friend, I guess I'm, you know, doing a $300,000 Kickstarter, right? Like, those things kind of just start.
0: Yeah, like everyone (laughs) does.
1: Yeah, Yeah, it's a combination of luck and skill. And I think, like, which side of it that is, it depends on, like, which side of my bed I wake up on in the morning, you know? Like, some days I'll tell you, like, I got extraordinarily lucky and then other days i'll tell you like i'm the best and um, you know
0: <laughs> it depends how bad the imposter syndrome is that that yes day, I exactly guess. exactly
1: how, <laughs> yeah, yeah. How, the, the 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 um the arrogance versus the imposter syndrome like how it balances out but
0: yeah we well, have to say the arrogance others say the confidence but you know <laughs> um so <laughs>
1: That's the imposter syndrome talking.
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah, of course, of course. Okay, so um so the game we're here to talk about um is oh I'll get the the book cover up, the pretty book cover. Mm-hmm. So the uh, yes. this is the soft cover. So Wonder Home is what we're talking about here. So for those who aren't familiar uh, with the game, could you give us like a an elevator pitch, a short summary of what the game is?
1: Yeah. Wonder Home is a pastoral fantasy tabletop game about a group of traveling animal folk moving through this post-war rural world called the Haith. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's a game kind of about these journeys arriving in places, meeting people, and over the course of seasons as you play, your characters grow with you until Mm -hmm. they're ready to move on on journeys of their own. Um, That's kind of the long, you know, the game is very much about kind of caring for something over a long period of time, growing and healing and traveling.
0: Amazing. And the art, the cover art is so beautiful. You provided the version without it there, which is
1: just yes. gorgeous.
0: Who did the, the, art the artwork? Beautiful.
1: So we hired, we my, my business partner Ruby or Grubby um, did the art direction and she brought in 16 different artists to do oh, wow. a ton of different art for the game. I think more than a mm-hmm. hundred different art assets. Um, and the book is packed with art. It's very much, we really focused on having art that shows this world from a variety of different perspectives to kind of reinforce Mm -hmm. the fact that it's not just one viewpoint, but it's many viewpoints. Um, And part of what that meant was like, um, you know, having like, you know, for example, uh, one artist we brought in is um, from Indonesia. And so like his art Mm -hmm. um, utilizes um, traditional uh, Southeast Asian tapestry work as a way to indicate the passage of time uh, because there's uh-huh. like there's kind of techniques they utilize. And so there's one piece that looks kind yeah. of like a tapestry. Um, another mm-hmm. artist, um has studied a lot of Northern Renaissance art and drew on the work of um, Peter Bruegel, who is a Northern Renaissance artist who kind of believed in democratizing the landscape and turning kind mm-hmm. of, instead of a single focal character, creating this kind of vast field of vision. And so we mm-hmm. really kind of were like, let's bring in as many different artists as we can. Let's bring in all these different perspectives. Let's see what happens or visually. And you know the art kind of serves as a way of explaining the, the philosophy of the book and also kind of inducting you into the world of the book.
0: Yeah, we've got some of the great artwork here. And um, as someone has said here, Wonder Home is 100% the prettiest book on my RPG shelf. So Thank it seems show. like all that effort <laughs> all that effort mm-hmm. of uh, creating that variety of art and working with different artists has paid off. So yeah, it's an absolutely yeah. gorgeous book. Mm-hmm.
1: Even if you go back to the cover, which is by Sylvia Bai, um, one of my favorite things, you'll see this in basically every illustration in Wander Home, which mm-hmm. is the path that they're walking on it doesn't just vanish off screen. It trails Mm -hmm. into the background and it kind of reaches all the way to these foothills. And behind Mm -hmm. the foothills are mountains and behind those mountains are more mountains. And in a game about traveling, it reinforces the fact, like the art visually reinforces this feeling that you are on one step of a journey, that there's like kind of Mm -hmm. more beyond the art that the artist didn't show you, right? Like there's more to the world that you could like travel to and that like, you've kind of like, you know, the path kind of comes forward and you can even see it in the foreground there. So the art kind of visually reinforces the themes of the game in a really important way that part of learning the game and playing the game is like going back to the artwork and drawing from it.
0: Oh great! So it's not just a pretty picture; it's also mm-hmm. provides something for the game as well. Yeah, exactly. Um, so with the game, um, obviously we've done like a, a brief little kind of summary of it. Uh, what inspired you to create this game?
1: Um, so I started working on Wanderhome uh, right at the beginning of the pandemic. I'd had like a few ideas, mm-hmm. kind of tossing around, and then they all crystallized right at the like kind of you know like late March early April 2020 and i was having a very bad day <laughs> and <laughs> uh, as you do at the start of the pandemic and i took some time yeah. and i sat by the water there's uh, there's this creek by my house and i thought about like can you make a game that captures what it feels like to see like cuz like i'm i'm a very artsy person so is my business partner um i'm mm-hmm. very interested in kind of what is, like, what is kind of the emotional and tactile experience that a game provides? And so I was very interested in, like, what can a game capture the feeling of what it's like to be on the water looking out at the shore and the way the world looks, kind of, when you're in this position of traveling? Um, Mm -hmm. And I started writing, and then one thing kind of implied another thing, right? It was like I wrote a playbook, and then I was like, oh, man, this this class suggests that this other class should exist. I should write that as well. And then one by one, kind of everything... It felt like it was like demanding everything else, right? And so it was like in a cavalcade of a month and a half, I wrote the whole game, and then it's spent- oh what wow. in a month yeah. and a half? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I was really As someone who works in publishing. I'm like, what? I know, I know, I know. And then we, it, you know, it spent a year being edited, right? And you know, the art, yeah. everything else about the game took a lot longer, but mm-hmm. the, the game itself, you know, playtesting, of course, but the mm-hmm. the game in pretty much its finished state emerged by like I think like early July of twenty
0: twenty. Wow. Well, that's really impressive that the, the like the the first manuscript was done in that amount of time. That's really impressive yeah. to me. So the <laughs> the playtesting experience, like you say, obviously that the whole publishing mm-hmm. side of it is like takes mm-hmm. a lot longer. What was playtesting like? Because obviously, it's, it was in the middle of the mm-hmm. pandemic when perhaps mm-hmm. couldn't meet, not safe to meet up in person yeah. and play games. How was that? Yeah.
1: And it was the first game I really had to learn how to playtest online. I was very used to playtesting mm-hmm. in person. Yeah. Um, and so a lot of the playtesting process for Wander Home became um, I would play with many groups of people. I kind of ha- would do a thing where I had a discord server and I would go on and be mm-hmm. like at everyone, I'm playing a game in one hour. I need four people who can make it. And I would, you know, there were enough people on the server. I'd get four people. And then mm-hmm. at everyone <laughs> playing another game in and, you know, in eight hours, I need four more people. Um, mm-hmm. I imagine it was a little irritating, but it worked out. And then that helped <laughs> a lot for like, kind of just doing the, the run and of Like, how do these mechanics feel when people first pick them up? How do they first engage with it? You know, handing them off to other people, seeing how they run it. And then yeah. I also had a longer term campaign that was with a group of friends who, I would wake up at six in the morning to play with them. And that would just be kind of like the play testing, the, the longer term mechanics and making sure that even if I didn't test every single mecha- like long-term mechanic individually, like you know, I didn't mm-hmm. check like, oh, does every single box on this checklist work? But rather it was like, okay, does does it feel like it works? Does is the presence there? Mm-hmm. Is the emotion there? And kind of working a lot off of that and building off of that. And then, you know, editing is a form of playtesting. And so the the work of the editors mm-hmm. kind of became part of that as well as they as they beta read and, you know, or rather, I guess playtesting is a form of editing, but
0: yeah. that
1: kind of came in and layered on and meant that there was a lot of time spent just being like here's a list of options for your character. Does it do everything it needs to do? Can we fit even more into these options? Can we, how can we basically, the the kind of the goal of Water Home was to do a lot mechanically without seeming like we're doing anything at all, right? To kind of hide everything behind like enough mm-hmm. air and precision that it seems to someone who plays it that it's almost like there's no rules at all. But in yeah. fact, the system is very present, but very quiet. And and Mm -hmm. we kind of work a lot with the text to make sure that that kind of happened through the choices you make and the way you build your characters and the way you play the game.
0: Awesome. So uh, when we're looking at the game, if we dig into mechanically what it is a little bit, if we start with Mm -hmm. talking about the characters. So you said you're playing uh, various different kind of animals and things. So what is character creation like? What goes into that?
1: So character creation starts where you pl- you pick a playbook, which is basically your um, basically like your character's class, right? It's kind of your job yeah. and role in your culture, mm-hmm. your motivation for traveling. So yeah. those that include um, like the dancer who is traveling as this traveling performer who's kind of going places to like you know just kind of to enjoy the thrill of dancing. You can play as the moth tender who has these basically you know carrier pigeons. Mm-hmm. Kind yeah. of a situation, but with moths, and they're, they're delivering nice. people. Um, yeah, and you can kind of go a little darker too. Like the veteran uh, is a character who, uh, you know, in perhaps you know fought in this great historic war, and is now kind of trying to heal the damage they've caused, and they carry yeah. the sword that can never be unsheathed again. And so these different um, playbooks become, um, like, kind of your angle into the world. Um, and you select one, you flush them out. As you do so, you kind of figure out what lore, perhaps that your playbook hints at, that you want to build into. It's a very collaborative process. A lot of like back and forth, a lot of sharing things, mm-hmm. you anchor your characters with each other, and then you have kind of your character, your your avenue from moving through the world and seeing kind of seeing the world as you know emerging from the playbook. And there's 15 playbooks in the book in in Wonder Home itself, and then there's another. I think I've seen like at least 50 online. There's so many playbooks that people have made. Oh, yeah. So if you if you need one of those, there's plenty around.
0: Good to know. It sounds like so how many options do you get in the 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 base book there? Did you mm-hmm. go through them all or
1: Yeah, oh uh, yeah, lots of lots yeah. of kind of making sure every single playbook is strong enough. Um they're yeah. like not strong mechanically in terms of power, but strong emotionally and like you know, like mm-hmm. um kind of making sure each character like kind of grips at you and has kind of an angle for you to feel feel pulled in and invited. Mm-hmm. Um, I think like a good example of kind of the way Wander Home will oftentimes approach uh, kind of character creation is it will, mm-hmm. so for example, if I may, um, the playbook, uh, The Dancer, I think is a good example of this. Um, okay. One of The Dancer's first questions is choose two you are and two you wish you were better at being. And then you're given a list of options that include upbeat, Uh. honest, hopeful, generous, frantic, focused, charismatic, and then the last two are always related to gender in some fashion. So for the dancer it's handsome and beautiful. And so you look at this list, it's a list of seven options and you choose two you are and two you wish you were better at being. So maybe you are handsome and charismatic, but you wish you were better at being beautiful and generous. And so every single option is doing double duty here, right? Every single yeah. option is, is giving you two different ways to contextualize your character. And the, the, the text has a lot of that, right? Like, you know, another question might be, choose three dances you will gladly dance and one you'll never dance again. And so the questions become, you know, like it, it becomes, you look at each dance and it's like, well, why would I not dance this one? Why is this one the one that I don't dance? What? How does that change your relationship to it? And so it uses a lot of things like that to make it so each option becomes multifaceted and the playbook mm-hmm. is not kind of a linear, like, oh, you know, like you go through this and you end up with the dancer and there's only going to be one you make. Um, yeah. But rather like every time you go through your ability to uh, kind of turn each option on its head means that you're kind of able to get in there and kind of reconfigure what these options mean, right? Like if I tell you that I will never dance the dance with all the winds in the sky to invite the weather to change, why won't I dance that? What does that say about my character that I'm scared to dance with the sky? Versus, you know, if I tell you that I never dance the dance with time itself to teach an ancient story, maybe that makes more sense. Maybe that feels more resonant. So you can kind of find your character that way.
0: Yeah. I love that. I love asking questions and things like that to kind of, you know, think about your character because sometimes you come to the table and you're pretty open and you need those little prompts can just make you think and give you inspiration. Um, yeah, um, you. Yeah. T- I mean, this game is a lot about connection with others um, as well. Um, and you mentioned that um, the, uh, during character creation, you kind of set up what are our connections, what are our relationships? How does the game kind of prompt you through that
1: section of it? Um, so there's kind of two main ways to do that. and One of them's a bit sneaky and one of them's a bit more open. The more open Ooh, way is that it does, it does... I know, sneaky. This is what I meant yeah. the, the many things that... that uh, it's Doing a lot of work to make it look like there's nothing at all. So yeah. the more open example is that you ask the players on your left and right, you ask them each a question. Okay. And those questions yeah. might be like... Why do I call you my best friend? Or how do you feel mm-hmm. about that? That I've decided you're my new parent, or you know, um, why won't yeah. you ever dance with me? Is another one of the dancers, and so these questions mm-hmm. become kind of these like for these kind of like um these focused ways mm-hmm. of establishing connection. Um, mm-hmm. And the sneakier way is that every playbook is full of um, what I call in my notes and my project notes, deep lore, which is basically Uh uh, that every single playbook has all these references to this mythology and folklore that the text never fully explains. And the trick of it is that different playbooks will reference the same lore, right? So, for example, maybe my character treasures, you know, uh, like maybe my character carries with them a pink orchard that's a symbol of their time in the rebellion. And another Mm -hmm. character has had stolen from them a pink orchard, the sign of their time in the rebellion, or, you know, it's oftentimes more oblique than that, but you, or there's, you know, references to the mysterious stranger with one white eye. And you spot these connections as you build your characters and they tie you together on this different level because suddenly you have this shared folklore in common. You have this shared history to you, this mythos That kind of precedes you and surrounds you. And so suddenly, maybe you and I both chose one of the rebellion options coincidentally. But Mm -hmm. now we look at that and we say that out loud to each other and we realize our characters have another level of connection that we didn't see before. And the question is well, what was that like? You know, why are we both, how do we feel about the rebellion? And what is, how does that anchor us together? You know, in a way we couldn't have anticipated going in.
0: Yeah. I love the sound of character creation in this. It's very, it's very much set up. It feels like for a long term campaign where we're ex- exploring mm-hmm. these these characters we're making. Mm-hmm. Um, and when structuring a campaign, if you're used to uh, playing something like Dungeons and Dragons, your campaign is going to kind of have a bit of a set structure, which will build up to you fighting the big bad at the end. Mm-hmm. It's kind of the classic. I mean, there's different things you can okay. do, but that's kind of the classic. Mm-hmm you know, thing we're gonna do. But obviously that's not kind of uh what this this game is gonna be. So what would a campaign kind of arc be in, in Wander Home, for example?
1: So Wander Home to, to make it to also to talk about it really quick, Wander Home is mm-hmm. GM agnostic, which okay. means you so you know, a game master like the you know the DM in Dungeons and Dragons, you can have one for Wander Home, although yeah. you don't have to. And the long-term play okay. is designed to support either mode or the swapping from one mode to another or like kind of okay. developing a, a third mode if you have other ways of doing that, right? Like
0: mm-hmm. uh, one of the
1: examples in the book is like a group of people with a rotating GM is something that Wanderholm fully supports just as oh, fully okay. it supports kind of default GM models. So I want to say that first because it, it'll make the other stuff I say make sense. Yeah, um, definitely. Where, yeah. <laughs> where basically Wanderhome's approach is um, this kind of process of, arrive at you it has a really robust place creation system so it uses mm-hmm. these 36 uh seed prompts that are called natures mm-hmm. and you pick th- and each one's like a page and you pick three of them and they prompt together to form a place and you can generate mm-hmm. them randomly or you can pick but like maybe you know we're arriving at a new location and it is a for mm-hmm. it is a forge a farm and um a mountain right and so it's this there's, it's this farm, this forge, this mountain, and how do they connect together Mm -hmm. to create this place we're in? And then you additionally track the months and seasons and the months and the seasons provide the longer term structure as you go from place to place, as you create Mm -hmm. these new places and plot kind of emerges naturally, as you encounter people in various places, you're kind of drawn towards certain things, you start moving in certain patterns. And every few months, during one of the seasonal holidays that kind of is one of the holidays that marks the transition from you know, spring to summer or from autumn to winter. Um, those seasonal holidays, your character makes a choice that mm. gives them kind of a new perspective, kind of allows you to do another twist on your character, another kind of okay. perspective on what was there before. Um, and that is kind of the, the structural arc of it um as you kind of move from place to place the seasons change the seasons impose new kind of rules onto the game over time mm-hmm. you make these choices and eventually when you run out of choices the the final choice is always that your character leaves and so the structure of it is ultimately saying goodbye to your character, embracing a new character. I and feel so agent, sad. you saying that, know, sorry. <laughs> but yeah, the, sorry. Text, the text is very emotional about it too. And yeah. the ultimate, the ultimate kind of dream of a long term game of Wanderhome is one where it's been many years and our characters have all grown and changed and we've taken on new characters. Maybe Mm -hmm. some of those have left and we've gone through these many different places. Maybe we've come back to places. The seasons have done all sorts of things. There's all these rules for how the seasons can behave Mm -hmm. and the world has grown with us. And ultimately um, I think, and this is true for a lot of my goals for my games. I want the players to feel like they, they the game becomes their own. Like the game fully becomes their own creation that's become something that I couldn't have even started to imagine. And that's kind of the long-term arc of Wander Home is this process of creating, I guess like, it kind of feels like going for a walk around town, you know, like, and going, you know, like meeting people who, and like running into people you haven't seen for decades, right. Or, you know, kind of taking a place and turning it into a home. Wander Home is structurally designed that you take the game and you turn it into a home. <laughs> I think it's maybe the best way to put it.
0: Okay. Well, someone else has uh, explained the final boss of Wonder Home is figuring out what your one-liner is before you leave for the last time. So <laughs> is,
1: is that, that's the final boss. <laughs> the, the secret final boss. If Oftentimes, I think people want to know what it feels like um, to play Wander Home because it feels like the idea of like, oh, well, what do we do if there's no combat, if there's no like... Yeah. We're not fighting monsters. What's the rhythm of play? Mm -hmm. And I think that the the single best touchstone for what it emotionally feels like to go through a session of Wander Home is Kiki's Delivery Service. If you've seen the Mm -hmm. movie, that is, I think, a really good reference point for what it's like to play Wander Home. Because Kiki's Delivery Service is the story about a girl arriving to this town where she doesn't know anyone Mm -hmm. she starts doing errands and meeting people and eventually she makes some friends at the town and she finds a community there and so wander home is like well, what if we do that over and over like what if we arrive new places meet people help them with their issues help kind of you know get the town you know help them out with you know like help bring bread you know oh you need to deliver something i can do that or oh there's you know like maybe we can help you know kind Mm -hmm. of like get you set up for the festival and we talk about our feelings a bit and we meet some people. We meet some interesting characters. Um, my Wander Home games always end up very sad when I play. I know other people's who end up very goofy and shenanigans. Filled that in sounds just part. like
0: what my games are like. Someone yeah. said, it's like, oh, Jess, you just want to sit in a room and cry for three hours when we're playing the game. And I'm like, well, sometimes, yes.
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> like, really, wander Home really tries to kind of do all that while being um, low stakes, low investment, really like. Mm-hmm. Kind of making it as easy for people to sit down at the table as possible and be like, hey, if you want to sit here and not talk and just draw pictures of your characters all, all afternoon or you want to play, but you're nervous and you need someone else to help you or, yeah. you know, whatever it might look like, Home's like. Let's make that as easy as possible so that it's really like cutting away. All the nonsense cutting away all the all the all the other mm-hmm. stuff that gets in the way of our ability to talk to each other and tell stories about the world we encounter.
0: Yeah. That, that sounds really great. So something that would be quite approachable for maybe a new player or something in that sense. Absolutely.
1: I actually know a number of people who have only played Dungeons and Dragons and Wander Home. Like those have been the two games they've played, which is a very <laughs> interesting combination. Because I'd, is. I'd see that with my other games. Um, but I see that with mm-hmm. Wander Home. And I think it's because um one, I think a lot of tabletop games, like I think Dungeons and Dragons included, kind of demand a certain degree of engagement where mm-hmm. like and demand kind of like that you master the system a little bit before you're allowed to play. Like yeah. before you can, you know, like, like the fact that like many games have trap characters, right? Like like a like you know, like building a, a beastmaster ranger in fifth edition, where it's like You've made a character that's just worse than everyone else's, and you couldn't have known that going in. And now you're being punished for making an interesting choice, and yeah. that is a, that that is a punishment that it punishes people who are lower le- who are lower engaged, right? It yeah. punishes people who are less confident. It's not a mm-hmm. punishment for the people who feel really engaged and really excited. It's a punishment for the people who are cautious or nervous or don't know what they're doing. Yeah. And so Wanderhome is like none of that, none of that, no. You know, like that is not how you approach, you know, like in the examples of play, one of the, the mm-hmm. players who's playing the game is nonverbal. And that was really an important part okay. in like, this is a game for, for everyone, even if you're not sure it's for you.
0: That is a really good example. I had one I hadn't, when I hadn't even considered until you just said that. Mm-hmm. So that's a really good thing to bring in. So it's inclusive for like a range of kind of different people as well. Mm-hmm. Um... Mm-hmm. In kind of playtesting, are there any kind of stories or characters that have particularly stayed with you that you can share or any favourite moments?
1: um, I think – so I think one of my favourites was um, this great game I played with um, my friend Brennan Lee Mulligan and my friend Jian Shim, who are both wonderful people. Um, We played uh, this game together where – it was it's a very dark. it's probably the darkest wander home gets we played this game where mm-hmm. we are exiles from this other land and we're traveling through this mm-hmm. river valley that is currently kind of like under lock by these series of like border patrols, and we've arrived at a university town to get the university town's help in uh like getting through the board, like basically finding rebels who we can like associate with, like help us get through and mm-hmm. spend most of the game. We, you know, we find the, 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 these, this professor, you know, these two professors who work at the university who are radicals. And they're mm-hmm. like, yeah, we can help smuggle you through once the rains have passed because it's spring, the rain, you know, the the monsoon is coming soon. The, the paths will all be closed. We can get you through in the summer. Um, and we spend most of the game, you know, in this game with these very high stakes, right, we're kind of, like, stressed out about stuff. Yeah. We're most of the game helping out with their potato farm and, like, you know, like, t- babysitting their kids. Like, very, yeah. like, you know, like, all right, we're in this stressful environment. We're in this high stakes kind of scary space. Mm-hmm. Let's focus on the day-to-day. Let's focus on the, on the mundane little bits and pieces. And it was a really beautiful, very sweet game. And also it had one of my favorite dynamics, which is I played... Mm-hmm. Uh, a very young child uh, who uh, was was like, had been through kind of some horrible stuff, but didn't really understand it. They're just like, I'm a, I'm a ragamuffin. And then just <laughs> like, Brennan was this like world scarred, you know, heavy hearted veteran with this like, you know, big sword and like a big, all these scars. And immediately I'm just like, well, you're my dad and you're going to take care of me. <laughs> <laughs> I am, I, you know, I've seen too much blood to love anyone. And it's like, no, 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 you'll love me. <laughs> yeah, I,
0: I love you enough for both of us. <laughs> like, exactly. So, amazing. I love, I love the little stories and things like that. Uh, so we've had, um, someone make a comment here they said that they found that deciding the location uh was more like the mechanics than the tokens and the playbook moves so once they decided where they were just ended up they ended up having just conversations and and kind of telling stories and i guess that's kind of um that was what you were trying to achieve isn't it so just yeah, exactly. trying to get people together and tell yeah. conversations and and, and
1: specifically like there is a token mechanic throughout wanderhome it's kind of this very simple like you get a token when you do this set of behaviors and you can spend that token to do this other set of behaviors. Um, mm-hmm. And it's arbitrary. It's, it's um it's elusive. It's purpose is not uh, to be prescriptive, but rather to give people a little bit more of a foothold if they need it. A lot of, you know, a lot of wander home is kind of the subtle art of like, when do pe- like, you know, to, to have something for when people need it and to get out yeah. of way when people don't. And that's kind of what a lot of wander home is.
0: Yeah. Um, Definitely. I think one of the things that jumped out to me, you mentioned a little bit before was um, it can have a GM or not have a GM. So I guess in what you just said, that can either be there if it's helpful or not, if it's not, mm-hmm. how, how different is the game when there's a GM compared to when there's, there's not, or is it, is it the same or yeah. How does that work?
1: Um, <laughs> it's it feels, it feels different. It's mm. um, I mean, I think the, the big critical difference is that, um, having a guide, which is what Wanderhome calls its GM, okay, um, yeah. having a guide leads to more uh, structured place. So if you don't mm-hmm. feel confident yourself GMing, having a guide is a good way to kind of feel like you can. Okay, I can trust that someone else is kind of making sure that the structure mm-hmm. of the world feels comfortable. And like
0: yeah. when
1: teaching new people, I oftentimes will GM simply because when you're new, you're less confident, and so yeah. having the GM is just a a valuable tool to have, right? Mm -hmm. Like the the GM serves a very critical purpose for teaching and for, you know, kind of community and kind of welcoming people in. But Mm -hmm. when I'm playing with a group of people who are maybe all, you know, like role-playing game pros, like they've all had, because like a a game with no GM is secretly a game with all GMs, right? That, you know, like every single player is kind (laughs) of being a GM. And so it's like if... if, Sneaky, sneaky, once again, but... (laughs) if everyone kind of has that energy of like, yeah, I'm ready to dig into this, mm-hmm. um, it works really well. And it feels, um, I think much like very um, kind of like when, you know, like when everyone's going to be able to get in the same headspace, it feels like, you know, like almost like jazz, like it feels very like, you know, it's like we're all riffing off of each other and we're, we don't yeah. really know where we're going, but we're, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, we're following this river downstream. Um, and so it's, they're two different experiences and I enjoy them both. Um, but, you know, it's important to test both as well to make sure they're both enjoyable and they they both work. And like again, there are other approaches. Like I've um I was running uh Wander Home at a con at one point, and a friend of mine showed up and I was like, Oh, thank God you're here. You can be my co-GM because I can't keep track of characters right now. So I'll mm-hmm. describe the place and you'll describe the characters. And Wander Home's that too, right? <laughs> like once again, Wander Home is like, that's great. So like however you want to, like, really the key is mm-hmm. like it will be a different experience every time, right? Like when someone else yeah. like you've got two GMs, it'll be a different experience than if there's one, if you've got sure. all GMs, that's a different experience, but it's still, um, it, it's, it's kind of the difference between like, I guess it's the difference between like going on a, like, you know, like going on a hike with someone who's able to show you around and be like, Oh, that's the, you know, that's the mountain where Rip Van Winkle did his thing. Or like, Oh, that's Sleepy Hollow. Versus like just going on a walk yourself and stumbling on the mountain and being like, I wonder what this mountain is. (laughs) I wonder who, oh my God, it's your friend Michael.
0: (laughs) That's a really good metaphor. And I think that is really great. It has that flexibility because I think like you say, for maybe newer players or people that are just less confident, having a guide or the GM, the guide as it's referred to in this game, would be really useful and feel safer Mm um and some groups it would suit them and and other people yeah they just want to go and have a wonder brown. so Mm -hmm. i think that's a really nice kind of mechanic to come in with that there are there any other kind of features you've put in any other sneaky rules that aren't really rules that go in and out that change the game a lot that we haven't discussed
1: so i think uh one important one that i like to talk about are the safety mechanics because yes um it's it's important to me i have a really complex view on safety mechanics mainly because I I think about things too much if you haven't gathered um and 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 I think that safety is one of those things that feels very um like frequently tacked on in tabletop right where everyone understands it's important but there isn't like not that many designers are doing kind of like, are thinking about what it means that it's important, right? Like, what is actually the purpose of safety? Mm -hmm. When we talk about safety in games, what are other things that matter besides safety that we should be building toolkits for, right? Because safety is the first step, right? My friend Kazumi put it really well as, you know, safety is the first step towards belonging, towards, you know, towards community, towards, you know, diversity, towards inclusion. Safety is the the bare minimum. And so if we, we treat safety as the end goal, but Wanderhome tries to treat safety as the starting point, which is yeah. if we can build a vocabulary for talking about comfort and talking about safety that is very kind of intuitive and built into the game, just as intuitive as any other mechanic, mm-hmm. where can we go from there? So Wanderhome gives you um, a list of what it calls journeying tools because it has kind of this extended yeah. metaphor about playing the game as a journey. And journeying mm-hmm. tools are things like what do you think? Or uh, I don't know about that. Or like, hold on. Or like, no, those are all journeying tools. And the idea of them is that you use them in play very naturally, because they're natural language. And they're also frequently how you just play normally, right? Like, Mm -hmm. I will often say, what do you think about that when just playing a game? And the purpose is that you build in this level of communication very early on, and you integrate safety in many other ways to many different mechanics. Mm -hmm. And then by treating safety as the baseline, we can start talking about what else we can build on top of that, right? Like once we can be like, all right, we know every single part of this game is working towards making people understand that things will be okay and that they are welcome Mm -hmm. here. And once we've got that, and that they have the agency to speak up and articulate their needs and perspectives. And once we've got that, what happens next? What do we get to build on top of that? And that's what Wander Home really tries to do with its safety mechanics.
0: I love that, that that's kind of built in the game because a lot of safety mechanics that I had talked about in tabletop RPGs, which mm-hmm. I think, especially in, in games like this, where they, they're quite emotional and it's exploring. Mm-hmm. Like if, it, if we're running in to kill a monster, there's, you know, maybe there we need some okay. safety mechanics, you know, but mm-hmm. I think there's more potential for harm sometimes if we're exploring quite mm-hmm. deep emotional connections and things because that can sometimes in the moment it'll awaken something in you that you didn't know mm-hmm. was was an issue so I think that having yeah. the no and the hold on in the moment is mm-hmm. great because sometimes you mm-hmm. can do a session zero and sit down and talk about okay what do we want to include on here what are we doing but mm-hmm. um so what would do you have any tools like before the session starts on that because for me I use things mm-hmm. like lines and veils and stuff like yeah. that but what do you recommend so, before
1: starting? So, wander has a um Wanderholm's character creation process is kind of assumed to be as part of a group. And before you start Mm -hmm. making your playbook, you have a conversation of, basically the book poses a series of questions to you that are designed to kind of modulate what your table needs. So one of the questions, for example, is like, do we want to go for a more like cheerful story or a more dark story? Do we want to go time. for a more slice of life story or a more mythological fantastical story? Do we mm-hmm. want to play with a GM or without a GM, right? And it phrases all these questions as kind of, you know, how long do we want to play? Is this a one shot or is this a campaign? And like mm-hmm. the answer to all those might be one or the other, or I don't know, or something else. And it kind of puts all these questions on the same level as a way to kind of communally set the tone, both in terms of lines and veils, right? Because, you know, if I establish, oh, I want a gritty, dark game, it's like, all right, well, you know, (laughs) I got a follow-up question there. But, you know, like, I'm kind of, you know, establishing, like, kind of establishing communal expectations and norms on Mm -hmm. both a logistical and an emotional level. And you do that even before you start picking your playbook. So you kind of get that establishing tone, and then you start building your playbooks. And then... You know, and, like, as you're building your playbooks, you're introduced to the journeying tools, and then there are more questions that help self modulate. And, like, the purpose basically is the idea that Wander Home is not a game like, Wander Home is a game where you know there are some things that might come up, but there are also other topics which are pretty likely to be avoided. And yeah. so, the focus is less on let's make a list of everything that upsets us because Wander Home is not a game, <laughs> you know, where for example, body yeah. is likely to show up, um, yeah. but instead it's let's, you know, let's talk about what is important to us, what Mm -hmm. broad areas do we want to avoid, what areas do we want to focus on, and in general, kind of also, you know, utilizing a lot of tools from childcare and like, you know, pedagogy of like, how do you create a community discussion environment in like a classroom, or like, how do you create a community discussion environment, like, if you're an organizer, you know, these kind of questions of like, how do you establish community norms, and like lines Mm -hmm. and veils is one tool for that, but by building it into the the game allows the questions to be very tuned towards the game itself um, yeah. and works with the journeying tools to kind of create this additional layer. And then there's other, yes. there's a few other moments as well that I remember every once in a while I'll read through the book and I'll spot something and I'll be like, that's a safety tool. I forgot that was a safety tool. And things like that where they're kind of, they're kind of tucked into the assumptions of the mechanics where it's like the way, you know, mechanics might be worded will be invitations rather than expectations yeah um, or like and that kind of that is that is mechanically another safety tool, right? Even though it doesn't look like yeah. one, even though it's not a formal one, it's a it's a, it's an, it's a way in which the text relates to the reader that mm-hmm. creates kind of that um, My friend Kazumi again, uh, Kazumi is an educator, and they do this workshop with some of their students mm-hmm. where the students will practice saying no to them. So they'll be in a classroom setting and they'll be practicing saying no. And Kazumi will be like, Can you read out loud this passage for me? And the student will be like, No, I won't. And the Kazumi will be like, Okay. And you know, student, you, you know, did you do the homework? And the student's like, No, I didn't. And He's like, Okay, and like he does this kind of like practice of like, I want you to practice saying no to me and telling me, telling me that you're not gonna do this. Because so that wonderful. I think like like safety to me, I think. When I think about safety, it's not quite like, how do I prevent all bad things from ever happening? It's when a bad thing happens, how how equipped am I to yeah. really respond to it and handle it in a way that's healthy? Yeah. And so by building that into the expectations of the game, where it's very much the game kind of plays that game with mm-hmm. you. Like I want you to say no to me. I want you to feel like yeah. you can rule me or the other players, or you have that permission kind of built in from the beginning. That yes. establishes safety from the get-go.
0: I think that's really true because a lot of it is with, like, power dynamics because, like, so many people mm-hmm. don't feel that they can say no to things like that. And I see it in not mm-hmm. in just games, but in, in, like, real life and stuff. Like, oh, you know, yeah. you ask someone so for a favor true. and they're actually busy that day, but they're like, ah, oh, and they're trying to think of anything to say other than no. And, yeah, uh, yeah it's and, a and real and everyone,
1: Yeah, it's really hard because we live in, I think, you know, our, a lot of the Anglosphere's society is this, like, intense politeness where we don't want to... Mm-hmm tell someone no we don't want to like we don't want to refuse and like mm-hmm. I think even kind of the way in which we're taught improv or the way in which we're taught play is very much like don't say no always accept and it's like well that's not really it doesn't really equip you yeah for when something happens that you don't want to have happen yeah. so Wanderhome gets around that by giving you a little a little placard on on your sheet that just says no <laughs> that you can you know like oh what do I say oh you know how do I respond to this oh right, can I can't say no to this right it's right there next to everything else you can say.
0: I really love that. That's really great. Um, so we've we've talked a lot about the game. Are there any um, questions I haven't asked you that you would like to give an answer for? So is there anything <laughs> that I haven't asked you that you wanted to share and talk to us about?
1: Uh, not that I'm aware of. I, uh, All right, putting
0: you on the spot.
1: <laughs> I, I, I was gonna say, unfortunately, I don't think I can... Um, I'm not, I'm not particularly good at asking questions of myself.
0: <laughs> that's okay. It was just, if you're like, Oh, I really want to mention this thing and I haven't had the chance to yet. But if, mm-hmm. if nothing is coming to mind, that's good. That means I've asked you uh, a lot of questions. Okay. Great. Um, so it, obviously everyone's listened to you talking and they've been like, wow, this is um, an excellent game. Where can I purchase this? Where can they purchase this game? Hmm.
1: You can purchase this in a number of places. Um, if you're mm-hmm. in the U.S., check out, definitely recommend possiblecreetgames.com. That's, you know, we sell it directly. Um, mm-hmm. I know that there's also, um, they're also, like, st- on our website, you can find our list of retail partners. International shipping has gotten brutal around here. Mm-hmm. And yes. I really recommend going to going to our page, checking out the retail section. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can go in there and you can be like, oh, you know, I'm in the EU. I'm in the UK, I'm in Australia, I'm in Canada. Can I find uh, a distributor who maybe has better re- you know, better shipping rates? And I really recommend checking that out. We have a bunch of partners that we distribute through. Uh, we're really focused on kind of making sure our books get to as many people as possible, even if it's, you know, across the pond or across the bigger pond.
0: Sure. Awesome. And also there's obviously pretty digital versions you can get. So that's a great way to get yeah, yep, yes
1: everything. Yeah. Yep. Yep. <laughs>
0: And um you have a Patreon account as well?
1: Yes, and I do. Uh Patreon.com slash possum creek. Uh we put up all sorts of stuff there. Um Ruby will sometimes write articles about uh like the art process. I do a lot of articles about game design. We release kind of like sneak previews of our upcoming stuff. Our mm-hmm. dis- you know, I recently put up um uh, a few rules for magic in Wander Home if you want to be casting spells. I kind of invented some yeah, okay. mechanics around that that include like you know, they're very much like, okay, what, you know, once you take violence off the table and, like, you focus on what, you know, like, what the magic actually is, what can that be like, right? Like, can you conjure up peaches that help people with their headaches or, you know, like, can you always know where the nearest source of groundwater is, right? Like, yeah. what what happens when you completely take the focus away from, you know, being like, what is, you know, magic is violence, but no, magic is, you know, like, how can you use magic to, how oh, can I don't know, you know, tell whether or not a tree yeah. is sick. Um, and so like that's a cool thing you can find on there. Uh,
0: mm-hmm.
1: I also, uh, the Discord community is really great. I hang out there a lot. We do a lot of great like, Q&As and chats about game design, there's a lot of great game designers on there so do check out the, uh, the Possum Creek Patreon it means a lot to me if you support it it's a really great way to kind of get the first glimpse of what we're up to because we do a lot of stuff besides Wanderhome, and we have a lot of great stuff coming
0: Yes, and I would be more than happy to have you back to talk about uh, any of your other projects another time because uh, this has been a fantastic mm-hmm. chat and obviously we have to get our own other podcast set up where we talk about LARPs um... Oh my
1: goodness, <laughs> yes absolutely.
0: Please I, I'm not even joking, I will do that with you if you want But yes, um <laughs> uh but yes um so please do check out the game the best way to support independent tabletop creators is to buy their stuff uh, so have a look on the patreon mm-hmm. on the site uh to pick up any of that if you'd like to have your very own copy of this beautiful beautiful game mm-hmm. um so we're coming up to the top of the hour so i'm going to say jay thank you so much uh, for giving up your time and coming on to talk about your game and sharing it with everybody
1: thank um just so yes, for having me
0: no problem at all. Uh, next week, we are back as we stream Not D&D every Monday. You can catch us live at 10 p.m. BST. And next week, we have Killer Ratings uh, with Ken Lowry. So we're going for a, going for a different vibe change on there. Uh, so a bit of variety <laughs> coming through. Uh, but yeah, so if you want to hear more about tabletop RPGs that are not Dungeons & Dragons, come back here and join us there. And you can always catch up on the podcast if you can't catch us live. Uh, but for now, I will say thank you very much again, Jay. Thank you for everyone that came along to watch us live and that's all for this week thank Thank you you very much
1: much. take care Bye. bye